Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We're here piecing it together with you. Randy, the phrase piecing it all together has uh, taken on some new meaning this week with P-E-A-C-E. We are having a really, an epidemic of mass shootings. There was another one last night. Uh, Eight people are dead. It had me thinking how important the P-E-A-C-E, the piecing part of piecing it all together is. Yeah. You know, I did a, um, uh, I think it was either for Sojourners or the Huffington Post. I think it might have been the Huffington Post. I did a piece a number of years ago about, um, you know, sort of like how do we begin to tackle this problem? And, uh, you know, um, I think it was like live by the sword, die by the sword. Will we make peace with the gun or something like that? Um, I I would uh, like to find that, pull it together and talk about it. But, uh, but, you know, some of the things that, that I was asking for are just, you know, things like, you know, ban assault weapons, um, limit, uh, you know, the amount of, uh, bullets that can go into guns, have a trade-in program for people who have semi-automatics. I would, you know, uh, gladly trade in um, my 30-06 semi-automatic for a nice single shot if there were a trade-up program or trade-down or whatever so that people could, you know, because like if you're a hunter and, you know, and you can't, you know, uh, you know, bring something down in like three shots, you shouldn't be hunting, right? (laughs) Yeah, if you're if you're fire if you're firing speculative shots at 150 yards and you're not connecting, yeah, yeah. So you know, there's a, there's a whole list of things that that I recommended, and these are just common sense things that most people are actually in favor of. Yeah. So the problem is not solutions, right? The problem is, and it's not the will to do it of the people. The problem is Congress. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And, and, and specifically, they're uh, embedded with, this, with big money from lobbyists. And we know that that's behind the halls of Congress. We know that lobbyists, there's more lobbyists than lawmakers. Right. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, you know, and they, <laughs> incidentally, they plague the doctor's offices, uh, the lobbyists for the drug companies, um, just as heavily, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I have a friend who's a doctor and he said about one out of every four people he sees every day are drug lobbyists. Is that right? I didn't know it was that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if, you've so, ever, if you've never known somebody <coughs> who works for a big pharmaceutical company, you know how many reps and all of the perks and the the lobbying that they do, you know. Well, and if you watch commercial TV. It's like one out of every three or four commercials is, you know, a drug, a, a new drug. Mm. And also the, the craziest names. Right. So okay. I, I, I figured out how they name these things. They okay. what they do is they put a bunch of different consonants in a um, is that the right consonants? Uh, like, uh, yeah. yeah, in in a in a hat. And then they just draw out three, put them together. And then that's how they name those drugs. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Bo. Morning. I wanted to say congratulations. After we're done recording, you and Randy are receiving the uh, an award for being Ecumenists of the Year. Yeah, 
<laughs> Congratulations. Kind of, um, Randy and I are going to try and describe what, what that means. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but um, we can. Let's do it. Talk about that word, right? So, the word ecumenical, a lot of people know what that is. They know that it's generally used to talk about um, uh, intersections and working with uh, various denominations and religious groups. And even a broader meaning might be interfaith. Yeah. Although ecumenical generally means within that Christian faith or whatever uh, religion you're talking about. But, um, um, but our work is really um, multi-faith and inter- yeah. interfaith as much as anything. And um, yeah, so it, it, this came as a great shock to us. Well, you know, the Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon, that's who's giving you the award, EMO, is they get shortened to. Uh, and you have, I mean, they're recognizing that specifically in, within our area, between your work at George Fox and uh, Elihe, and you also have Common Table. Um, Which is an interfaith uh, Oregon organization. Yeah. Okay that Edith and you have really invested a lot in building bridges between groups and organizations and different institutions to bring them all together and work together? Yeah, I I think there are probably people who are more deserving of this than us, um, who really work at this. Um, We just do it as a matter of our lifestyle. Um, I I just say... um, you know, we, we will hang out with whoever will hang out with us. So <laughs> mm-hmm. we just love people. We host people and uh, we love to learn about different, you know, um, ideas and different religions and different ways of doing things. And and we just see a whole lot of commonality in our our yeah. humanity. And we all have the earth in common. Right. And that's a good starting place. We all have uh, our humanity and our limitedness in common and. And most religions um, will recognize the limitedness of human beings and the fact that we are all living on this earth together, you know. So, so this, it's not really that hard, you know, if you if you sort of look at, like, what are the things that, that we relate to together? Well, it makes sense, actually, that they're recognizing you and Edith and your work because the honest truth is, you know, from – when you say it, it sounds so natural and so easy and sort of common sense, right? But when you're part of a religious organization or denomination or institution, um, sometimes there's um, some boundary building and, you know, sort of guarding the gate, some gatekeeping, and that keeps you from really participating in that common cause, but yeah, well, isn't isn't that the ugly part of religion though? Is the is. the exclusionary factor that says we have to maintain our purity at some level or our boundaries at some level? Yeah, that's I I I find that contrary to the teachings of Jesus. That is true, and that is one of you're right. One of the downsides of religion. You know, when I was really awakened to this is when I was down in Claremont, which is an interreligious school. That's where I did uh, some of my studies, and I was working at a very open-minded, progressive, open and accepting, liberal 
uh, church at the time. And we were doing a feeding program for uh, a group that after disasters like tornadoes or hurricanes or, you know, floods um, Mm -hmm. delivers these meals ready to eat. And so we were doing a meal packing event and we decided to open it up to, you know, anybody who wanted to participate with us. And at first we Mm -hmm. invited our other, we were Methodist, uh, United Methodist, other United Methodist churches to participate, but we still had lots of availability of other, um, you know, people who could participate. So we wanted to open it up across all faiths and other, you know, denominations. And one of the things that really surprised me was that some of our most sort of committed folks um, who were most loyal and faithful and generous and supportive got really territorial and wanted to make sure that like, for instance, if the Presbyterians came or if the Jewish congregation across the street came, that we still got credit for how many meals were packed. And we were like, you know, you don't get extra Methodist points, right, for the number of, that's not how this works. And it was really shocking to me because it it sort of brought me out of this idealistic mentality that I had been in that, oh, we're all in this together. And after Mm -hmm. 9-11, we all know how important it is to work together. And then just to see that mentality of making sure we got credit I was really both disappointed, but also like, oh, 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 I see how this works. Yeah, that, that's so sad because that feeling of we're all in this together. I mean, that's 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 the reward, right? Yeah. Out of, uh, you know, the um, that and knowing that you're helping others, uh, you know, sustain their lives for another day. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's a it's a shame that. We just can't all work together. I mean, uh, even, even you know, like uh, I have a list of like favorite fundamentalists uh, in time. Yeah. And uh, one, of, one of my favorites is Francis Schaeffer. Okay. And uh, he used to have this concept called co-belligerency. Okay. <laughs> and so co-belligerency just said um, that if you are doing the work of Christ, which is a pretty broad you know, sweeping uh, uh, set set of things to do. I mean, if you're helping someone else in any way, you're doing the work of Christ, that you can work with anybody. Even, he said, even Satanists. (laughs) And I guess that would have been the bad thing back then, right? Um, So, uh, but if they are doing the work of Christ, it doesn't matter what their beliefs are. It's what your action is, right? Oh. And this is fits very well with my understanding of what theology is and in, in, in what practical theology is, which you're the expert in, is that what we're doing is, is really the message, not what we're saying or what we say we're believing. Oh, Randy, this is a fantastic segue to something I was hoping would come up today that I wanted to tell you about. So, All right, go for it. Yeah. So I heard a fascinating interview with an author, and I want to get her name right. So her name is Janine Moorfield, and her book is called Empires Without Imperialism. This was one of the most interesting interviews I have ever heard. Not the first part, because she was detailing uh, the history of people 
in the 20th century who, I mean, I don't want to go into, cause I'd never even heard of anybody she mentioned. I had never heard of any of them, but they were like hmm. really influential. Cause what they did is they took the colonial slash sort of imperial mentality of the 1800s and they formalized it. They made it an actual thing, like a mentality. But it was the second half of the interview when she started talking about the mentality and the mechanism that allows the us versus them mentality to prosper and actually mm -hmm. to continue to this day, uh, really strongly, as we know, uh, if we look at our current news cycle and political uh, you know, era. But the thing that really struck me, and I, I've been thinking about it all week, is she said, the mechanism is really easy. That you view yourself and your team as virtuous, right? Having character and virtue, but you judge the other team by what they do. And I'm oversimplifying, mm. I'm oversimplifying what she said, but not by too much. And it, I had two sort of epiphanies listening to her that really have troubled me all week. The first is um, I had a very strange encounter a couple months ago with a friend of mine who just out of the blue, I don't even, we were talking about racial uh, justice, and said, and you're, I mean, you'll understand how jarring this was when I first heard it. He said, and I quote, well, take Native Americans, for instance. And I thought, well, this should be interesting. And he basically said, you know, uh, without doing a caricature, that because of the rule of law, somebody has to be like the people who uphold the law. And that's us, white people, Europeans, and that the Native <laughs> Americans, because they were immoral with things like polygamy and scalping and other things, they, right, they were evil doers, right? They did bad things. And so that's why we had to impose the rule of law. So even though, and he, so here's where it gets weird. Even though we, meaning whites or Europeans, settler colonialists did do some bad things. It was in the service of our virtue or our moral law. So even though, yes, technically we did some bad things because we are the good guys that was justified. And I had not heard someone vocalize something like this in more than a decade. I haven't heard that mentality. And I was really taken aback by it. And I've been working with him and the group that I was a part of that was having this discussion since then to say, do you understand how dangerous that mentality is? But when I heard her in this book saying like, this is a legacy goes back to the 1800s when it was sort of formalized. So anyway, but there's a second part of it, but I just want to get your initial reaction to the, to the idea. Well, you know, ignorance is bliss, right? You can come up with all kinds of ideas if you're ignorant um, to, to the facts. 
So, uh, so he obviously doesn't understand Native American history, and he doesn't understand his own history. So, and, and this dates back to all the all the way back to Columbus, to the Puritans, uh, to uh, Doctrine of Discovery, to Manifest Destiny, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and it's you know uh, this uh, us and them mentality where we are the ones with virtue and they are the ones without virtue. It's just a, another trick of white supremacy. That's all it is. It's a, and it's used by different people. It's not necessarily just white people around the world, right? I mean, our our tribes uh, also probably practice that to some degree. But what through it all, we learned how to uh, embrace differences also. So I think, um, you know, this is part of it is uh, the the um, um, sort of getting caught in the ditch of um, our own ethnocentrism, right? So we just keep spinning our wheels saying the same thing over and over again to different situations. And that's what he was doing, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and how we change that is to be exposed to people with real differences, Okay, and who know the real story, who you hear other histories from, from their perspectives, other books that you read from those perspectives. And so that you understand that, oh, you know, my thinking is needs to be corrected. Right. Mm -hmm. So obviously uh, this guy either I'm thinking it was it a guy. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, was either you know, hasn't had this kind of exposure in the real life situation and read these kinds of things, or he's rejected those, you know, for some reason. So, um, so, so it's just, you know, I mean, the world is full of ignorant people who, 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 some who just by fiat, they they haven't been exposed and some who deliberately choose uh, to continually say, uh, you know, we are the most important people. Everybody else is, the other right so it's not surprising this has been going on in this country for you know ever since you know europeans first landed here because they came with the whole idea that they were superior and that everybody else was inferior yeah well the thing that made me specifically sort of hold on to this you know because if it was just about the past or right this one issue it it wouldn't have haunted me but the reason that this interview struck me so deeply is that i realized that we actually let's say right and left if you sort of think in those terms do this to each other so that both groups liberals and conservatives or republicans and democrats or however you want to split it up we actually view our team as virtuous, but we look at the deeds of the other team. So we say, well, but we have values, but they do this thing. So when you separate your values or your virtue, right, your character from your mm-hmm. actions, it's amazing what you can get away with and justify because you say, but they do this thing. And that, so they, that's the problem. They're bad people because they do this thing. And I may do something that's harmful, but because I'm a good person, I do it in service of my goodness. So right. 
It's amazing though. So I, I always try and place myself in my opponent's shoes and say, if I were born in the place they were born and I was raised the way they were raised, or if I valued what they value, how would I justify holding this position that I currently am battling against? But why does it mean so much to them? And it doesn't always work. But in this one case, I I realized that whether it is gun rights or abortion or transgender bathrooms or whatever it is, the issue, if you actually, if you buy into what she's saying, that you judge yourself by your value or virtue and character, integrity, and then, but you judge the other team by their action, it is amazing that we actually can do this to each other. And it's why the divide between us can remain so pronounced. Yeah. So a couple of things. One is my voice just kept climbing there. I don't know why I, the more excited I got about that, the higher pitch my voice got. Calm down. Have an, have another drink of coffee there. Both. Okay. You're all right. <laughs> <laughs> just think about your bike ride today. I will. I will. I will. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a couple things. One, like, she may not be the first one to say this. No. Um, like, there, I, I just keep thinking of this scripture passage, you know. Don't judge others. Uh, you know, that whole judge not lest you be judged. Yeah. It's like the karma. This is the, the karma verse. You know, because by the same measure that you judge others, you will be judged. Right? So, are we un so judgment? There's nothing wrong with judgment if it's a fair judgment, mm. but an unfair judgment, I think, brings karma back to our. In 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 a sense, uh, among native peoples, there's often this idea. It's not like karma in the um, like uh, perhaps a Hindu way of thinking or something like that, but it's more like like when you do something wrong it comes back to you. It comes back to visit you. And and that's a sort of a natural progression of things. It's like when you build a life that's built on wrong judgment, mm. you're going to end up getting judged wrongly at some point. So, <clears throat> um, so it's that. It's also the idea, um, uh, there's a bit of a utopian vision in this, right? It's like, so my, my end justifies my means, but theirs doesn't, right? Hmm. So, so that's mixed up in there. And then there's this whole platonic dualism. That's a part of this that yeah. says, you know, um, this, uh, I have a, because most often this is backed up by correct beliefs, right? It's like, I have the correct beliefs, but they yeah. have the wrong action. So it's the idea that, you know, um, my beliefs justify me as opposed to my actions, yeah. right? So all of this is wound up, uh, you know, bound up in this kind of of um, thinking. And the English language actually is sort of meant to work in binaries. It's sort of developed that way. Yeah. It's like, you know, everything is, is it this or is it that? Mm-hmm. Is it heaven or is it hell? Is it, you know, a plant or is it a weed? Is it a varmint or is it an animal? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're, you know, we are sort of... Um, captive to a, a language that has developed in this binary thinking. Yeah. So very yeah. seldom do we, do we think automatically both and, Yeah, yeah. you know? 
And so all of these things go into that, those kinds of, of, um, you know, I don't, just the word that keeps coming back and I'm, I apologize, but it is ignorance. Ignorance means you, you don't know the full picture basically. Right. And, that, and yeah. we all are limited. None of us have the full picture. Um, but you know, let's, let's use a bit of, uh, uh, grace mm. when we talk about other peoples, um, especially if we've not spent a whole lot of time around them, mm. uh, or understand them, let's not, you know, make those kinds of judgments. And then, you know, and, and let's not, what's the saying, uh, cast stones if we live in a glass house. Mm-hmm. Randy, when you started talking about the famous saying, judge not lest you be judged, I actually know people who are so self-confident and assured of their own righteousness. I've been told on multiple occasions by people, I'm not afraid to be judged. Like if I, to stand before God or whatever, I'm not afraid of that because I'm on the side of right. I have right on my side. And that's just an amazing confidence, right? Um, And arrogance to say, oh, I'm not afraid to be judged. I mean, I, right, because I have right on my side. And, um, but well, the- and, and this is people who are like, you know, this is the, the ultimate God, the judge picture, right? And, and yeah. that's, that's not my idea of who God is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and they think that like this judgment's only coming in the afterlife. Mm. <laughs> but they don't realize that their own, Ignorance is a judgment against themselves that they are living in uh, a falsehood and a false sense of uh, identity and ethnocentrism mm. that is actually hurting them at the time. Yeah. So, um, so they're being judged already by by their lack of humility and their. Mm their lack of uh, ability to understand others. And, and where that comes into play is once, when you get exposed to others, that stuff comes out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And your life so, is poorer for it. Your experience is not as rich if you are um, being influenced and, and um, participating with people from other cultures or other traditions and how it brings such a rich tapestry, Right. Uh, when you're open to other people's experience. Yeah. So, you know, and I will admit I am, I'm an ignorant person. I'm ignorant to a lot of people, a lot of uh, ways of thinking, a lot of movements and things like this, but I hope I'm at least open to understanding more. Right. Mm. Uh, And that's the key is that are we open to being corrected to, uh, to, to um, suffer a little bit of uh, embarrassment and humility because of our ignorance? Or do we just sort of like feign knowledge and try to get by with that? Right. So, and and even living that kind of a shell life is a judgment against yourself. It's how how can you really be at peace Mm. if you're living like that? Yeah. Uh, You know, that's my understanding. I'm again, I'm limited in my understanding, but but that's how I understand it. So, oh, that's an important caution. And I, I appreciate that. That's why I wanted to tell you. About well, I got to tell you, yeah, I come from a place of pure ignorance, right? Yeah. I, 
I was raised in uh, a little community outside of Detroit. Um, it was, you know, I was very fortunate in that it was like multiracial, multicultural, um, uh, multi-ethnic uh, community. So I was fortunate in that sense. Um, but, you know, education was not a premium at all. Uh, I didn't even really, like, if you'd have told me back then that I was going to, like, like do in-depth study and have a PhD one day. Yeah. You know, that would have yeah. been, I would have said, what's a PhD, <laughs> you know, and why would I want that? You know, um, not, not that that in itself is, is a mark of intelligence, but at least shows that you put some study into something, right? That, so, um, so, you know, I come from a place of, of ignorance. I come from a place of, you know, small thinking and it's, it's been a long journey. Mm. a long long journey for me to you know to get to a place where I'm like at least open mm. to other people and other, other thoughts and other ways of thinking and and uh and so you know I have a sense of compassion also for that kind of ignorance yeah. because that that's who I am right again my my only uh sort of saving grace is that I try to be open, right? Yeah. Uh, to my own ignorance. With the time we have left, and we're going to start wrapping up, I wanted to point people towards an article that you wrote for Sojourners magazine at sojo.net. Um, it has a provocative title White Supremacy and the Fate of the Earth. Uh, the subtitle is Our Environmental Crisis is Rooted in a European Worldview. The Cure Will Require White Humility. And um, if people are interested, I'll link to it uh, there. You'll be able to read the first part uh, of the because they're providing a preview. But unless you are subscribed to the magazine, which is like three bucks a month, you won't be able to read the full article. But I just wanted to ask you uh, about this so maybe give us the background on why you've been thinking about this specifically this year as human activity has uh, been modified, let's say, during the pandemic. And you sort of take it at an interesting angle. So um, I'm trying to save our place on the earth um, as co-sustainers for the future. Mm. So, um, you know, a simple way to say that is I'm trying to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> a, sm a small ambition. I am trying to both model what that might look like um, and to write about and project um, through a critical analysis um, how we might sustain ourselves because I think the earth's going to be okay. But, um, but I'm not sure that we are going to be around to be a part of that, uh, have the pleasure of being a part of that uh, and the privilege of co-sustaining the earth. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and it's going to be more and more difficult, even if we are. So I'm looking for, you know, seven generations of, of my great 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 grandchildren and and everybody else's and who is gonna um inherit this earth mm. 
And so, um, so part of that critical analysis is to understand um, why it's gotten into this mess. And I think uh, through my particular, you know, sort of journey, I have uh, discovered that um, part and parcel of the mess that we're in is because of white supremacy and because of uh, European male, you know, wealthier, more powerful landowning males and that mentality, that worldview that has developed by and for those particular people is what's killing us. It's what's killing the earth. It's what's killing us. And, and uh, you know, and we're all going to suffer the same fate, except for there's this false sense of hubris among wealthy white uh, folks that they can be rescued from this, mm. you know, but they can't. So, um, uh, you know, they can be helicoptered out or they can, I think Naomi Klein wrote a book about this a while back um, so that, that they can, you know, somehow, you know, like when the tornadoes come, they'll, you know, be choppered out and then they'll come back and the insurance will pay for their homes. And, you know, it's not going to be that simple. It's going to continue to get worse and worse. And so white supremacy has driven this problem. Um, and uh, and so I I do, a I think of for a, a magazine article. Um, a pretty thorough analysis of the origins of this and how it's affecting us. Um, it's funny because the, sort of the second part to this would be the 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 uh, cover article I did for Sojourners two years ago, which was like um, um, the fullness thereof. It was called, and and that was about basically uh, the mess we're in in Earth rights. <laughs> so it's sort of like I did part two, and then I did part one, you know, but that's, that was my journey of discovery, I guess, but uh, it's, it's sort of, uh, but anyway, yeah, um, grateful to Sojourners for asking me to do that, and um, uh, I'm sorry to say that people can't just link to the article. I'm going to find out if I can somehow uh, get that full article and put it on our website. Okay, that'd be great. Last night, you know, I knew we'd be recording this morning. And last night, I was looking for something else on uh, Netflix. And they advertised that uh, there's a new documentary that's just come out. And it's actually narrated by David Attenborough, the famous sort of oh, yeah. Yeah, voice of uh, nature shows, about how the earth has snapped back, quote unquote, in our year of non-activity and how nature yeah, exactly. so quickly responded. And um, it sort of caught my attention. So I put it in my queue. I haven't watched it yet, but I put it in my queue. Uh, but I knew we'd be talking about your article this morning. And so uh, I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes if people are interested. Yeah, send me a link of that. I love to watch it. I love David Manborough's uh, narration too. So yeah, that'd be great to take a look at. But uh, the, the thing is, is that um, the earth adapts nature adapts is that that's one of the lessons that we can learn as human beings. And this, this goes right into our, our understanding of this, this uh, discussion we had about ignorance, you know, yes, we can be ignorant. We all are in many ways to different things, right? But we can adapt because that's what nature does. Nature has this great ad adaptation um, devices where it takes the bad and somehow rolls with it. And ends up sort of winning in the end, right? Yeah. And so um, as human beings, we just simply need to take our cue for what creator has put here on earth for us to be our primary teacher, which is the earth herself, 
and uh, learn to adapt. Uh, and so, you know, I'm just kind of, um, uh, you know, trying to tie this all together. We're to piece it all together. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well so as human beings, we, we've got to learn to adapt the way that nature does. Yeah. Well, listeners, we would love your feedback. Thank you for uh, sharing the episodes with anyone that you think might be interested. Thank you for letting us know uh, your thoughts. And we really want to thank our Patreon supporters who continue to help us out financially. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter and uh, support us, we'll provide a link in the show notes there. Uh, But we really are quite thankful uh, for you as listeners share this widely, um, invite more people to the conversation. And again, thank you for our Patreon supporters who sustain us. Thanks for being here with us. We appreciate it.